You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Y'all doing all right? It's quiet. Are you, yeah. are you alive out there? You're quite, kind of quiet. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. We are so happy to get to be with you this morning. Um, We are excited to join you again as we continue on studying uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going through this Family Matters series. And the last few weeks, we've been hitting on different topics of life stages that we have here at Midtown Church. And the reason why we've been doing that is because it's really important to us that we learn how to love and serve and care for one another as a church family. And so we're going to continue on in that series today and talk about parenting. Now, if you're a parent, you know that we could turn this topic into a 10-week series real easy. Amen. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're just going to focus in on what Paul has to say to us in the book of Ephesians, specifically in Ephesians 6. And what we're going to find out this morning is that we have a really key role to play in the lives of our children and a very clear goal to aim for. Now, if you're in the room and you're not a parent, uh, please hang with me this morning, and here's why. We need you. We need you. We need you as advocates for us. We need you as second voices in the lives of our children, and we need your prayers. So uh, we need you to be be hanging in there with us this morning. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for today. It's Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and we're going to jump in. So Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right. So we felt like this is a perfect Mother's Day passage because, as you can see, children are called to obey parents, that's you and and the fathers, and also honor you, but you aren't given any parental responsibility in verse 4, right? You see that? It's like you get the day, you get the day off. You just get to kick back and relax and dad's this is all on you. It's a really perfect Mother's Day passage. But um, actually, in all seriousness, it kind of begs the question, like why aren't moms, right, mentioned in verse 4? And so let me, uh, let me speak to that real quick. And the, the reason that uh, it's just fathers that are addressed here is because this passage is really a part of Paul's You could call it his subversive Christian remix of the household codes of that day. See, the uh, Greco-Roman culture that Paul was writing into was really influenced by Aristotle's teaching of of the household codes and a few other household codes that that had come out in that time. And uh, he had laid out, like, okay, here's how society, how the family should be organized. And according to Aristotle, the man of the house the husband, the father, he was to rule as the sovereign of the household, you know, and so uh, he could exercise unilateral authority over his wife and his children and slaves if they're in the household because they were considered inferior, all those were considered inferior to the husband in that day and age in the Roman Greco viewpoint, all right, and so, um, What that meant is that husbands, fathers, could treat anyone in their house any way that they wanted, right? They, everyone existed to serve them. They certainly didn't exist to serve 
their household. But here, in the book of Ephesians, Paul brings the gospel of Jesus into the equation of family life. And what he does is he fleshes out how placing Jesus at the center of our lives is meant to change how we relate to everyone else. How we changes how we relate to each other. And perhaps the biggest change is how it affects the man in the house. How he is to change and relate to everyone else in the family. Serving them out of reverence for Christ. See, that, that friends, is why the fathers are the ones that are called out in verse 4. Paul is trying to make sure that the dads understand that things have changed because of Jesus, that he now no longer is all about being served by his kids, but he has a role to serve his kids, to submit himself under them for their good, to help them grow up into Christ. It's all part of the theme verse of what Paul has said in verse 5, 521, right? That we are to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. And so it's that mutual submission that he's applying now to say, Dad, you got a role in this. Jesus has changed things because of how Jesus is related to you, that God himself, God the Son, would come and serve you. Then that changes, that you're now not no longer here to be served but to serve just like Jesus did. And because Jesus came to serve women and children and slaves, that changes how you are to relate to them as well. And so this is what Paul is getting into. So moms, unfortunately, on Mother's Day, the truth is, you still have lots of parenting responsibilities. But the reason that he calls out the fathers here is because he was speaking into what was going on culturally. Now, the other thing that's really interesting here is that this passage, as you'll see, doesn't just address the fathers. It also addresses the children. And that would have really surprised everyone in, the, in that culture as well because all of the household codes, and go back to Aristotle's household codes, they only were addressed to the free man, to the, to the man of the house. They were never, uh, never anything specifically said to wives or to children or to slaves. And yet here, Paul actually addresses children. He says, like, he's like speaking at, with an expectation that children are actually in the worship service, able to understand and apply what he's saying. And so he says, okay, children, here's what you should do. And that, you know, elevates Children, it's to say you're important and you got a role to play and all that kind of stuff. And that would have shocked everybody again in that culture. It just shows that Jesus has really changed things. He's completely reoriented the family structure and people's role in that. And everyone gets to play a part in loving each other like Jesus has loved us, submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. And so that's what's going on in this passage. That's a little bit of a historical context. And again, I just tell you, I love that. I love that. Because again, it shows that when Jesus enters our lives, he changes things for the better. Everyone in the family is now elevated to a place where you say, you matter, clearly. Because look what Jesus, how Jesus has treated you. And therefore, let's serve each other like Jesus has served us. All right? And so, these verses, you can see. Uh, they, uh, they, don't, uh, they, be, they address parents, they begin with children, and the part there where it begins with children, it's like parents, like favorite, some of parents' favorite verses in all of the Bible. Like we, we love these verses. Like parents, you've got, I know you've got these verses memorized, right? I mean, you might not have any of the verses in Scripture memorized, but you have children obey your parents, you know, they got that part. For this is right. I like, I like ending it with that part, right? We, we like this, and this is good. This is important for our children to know. It's important for us as parents to teach our children. That's really good. However, 
It's not just children that are addressed in this passage, right? And so what we're going to focus on this morning is not the part where Paul says, children obey your parents, directed towards children, or where he quotes the fifth commandment, the ten commandments, which is what he's doing in verse 2, you know, honor your father and mother, and we includes the promise there. That's, that's all geared at the, the children's responsibility, how they are called to serve their family in mutual respect, right? But for us today, what we're going to focus on is the parents' responsibility, what we are to do in parenting our kids. And really, uh, we're, as Chris said earlier, we're going to do that by focusing on two things, the role of parents and the goal of parents. Mm-hmm. And in this passage, you see two roles that parents have that can really be summed up with two words. Those words being that we are to be stewards and we're to be servants. So, you Absolutely. Want to get into that? Yes. Let's talk about stewardship. As parents, we are given two roles in how to steward. We're supposed to steward our children and steward God's authority. We see that in verse 1 when it says, children, obey your parents as into the Lord. It's saying, hey, their obedience is ultimately unto God. It's not unto us. And so we are here to steward our children and his authority. So stewarding our children. It is really, really easy as parents to feel like we have complete ownership of our children, that they belong ultimately to us. And what that drives is this behavior of, okay, I'm going to decide how I'm going to parent them. I'm going to decide what I want for them, and what I want from them. But ultimately what we see in Scripture is that God's the one that owns our children. They belong to him, the creator of all of our children. They belong to him, and we get to steward them. And what that means is that that question, the super important question we need to be asking in parenting, is what does God want for our children? What does he want from them? And that needs to drive what we want for them and from them as well as we steward our children. The second thing that we're stewarding is God's authority. Now, what this means is that we don't have ultimate authority over our children. Our job is to steward God's authority. I really love this quote by Paul Tripp, and I'm going to read it to you guys as soon as it pops up on there because it's on a slide, right? Okay, it says... uh, Paul Tripp says, parents, you have not been given the right and power to exercise authority in the lives of your children any way you want. The authority that you have is ambassadorial authority. The ambassador doesn't have any authority in and of himself. He has authority only because he represents a king who has authority. Now, what this means, oh, Yeah, sorry. Next slide. Parents are not the owners of their children, and so their role is to steward them according to the will and the way, the purposes, and the plan of the one whom their children really belong. And that's so important. What that shows us here, guys, is that God has ultimate authority of our children. He's called us to steward that authority. And what he's after here is to make this invisible authority of his now visible to our kids as we represent him. And don't miss this. This is super important. It's important because our children, just like us, are born with this resistance to authority. And if you've been around children at all, you know that that's true. They don't want to be told what to do, whether it is to eat their vegetables, whether it is to go to bed, whether it is to not be on screens all day long. We're not getting enough amens from the parents. They, I know. Time. They're what? Like... They are resisting authority. 
But the good news is, is that God's authority is beautiful. When we submit to God's authority, we flourish. We have peace. It is good. And so as we, as the stewards of God's authority, reflect that authority to our children, really beautiful things happen. It's important that every time we exercise authority in the lives of our kids, that we're reflecting that beautiful, grace-filled, truth-speaking, faithful, loving authority of God. Amen. You're, you're, <laughs> Thank all, you're you. awesome at this. It's, this is I appreciate preaching. it. Precious sister. All right. Um, so, friends, let me, I, I, let me just say on that, uh, yeah, I've been in full-time ministry for 18 years. Um, and one of the things that I have seen over and over again, so you know, I know many of y'all can relate to this, is that uh, kids' uh, view of what God is like and how God relates to them is so shaped by how their parents represent or misrepresent God's authority in the household. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know many of you all feel that. And it just highlights the importance of what Christopher was just talking about and what is in this passage that we have to, it's our responsibility to steward God's authority, not in our, on, on our own. Like, we have authority. We can use it however we want. No, we are to reflect God's authority. And the way that God would do that in our household so that our kids can grow up with an understanding of what God's like and be drawn to him. But that is so hard, right? Because, he, you know, we all know this. We're not perfect. We're not like God. So we're trying to represent what God's like. We, we're going to fill that. And I know that that's true. Like, I know it's true because yesterday, while I was working on this message, I failed to represent what God is like, right? Like, seriously, Krista and I, uh, we are enjoying teaching together. This has been a lot of fun. But, you know, uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. It takes about double as long to put a message together when there's two of us trying to put the message together. And that's hard because we have three kids, and they don't understand that concept and so like yesterday morning we were still working on the message we set the kids up and they're going to be we think they're going to be fine for a little while so we can go outside and start working on the message again and like five minutes later Della comes outside and is like mom can I ask and I'm like Della can you just give us a break for five minutes just just go inside and let me keep talking to mom Dad of the year, right? I just saw, just nailing this thing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm feeling convicted and I'm also getting some kind nudges from Krista on how I should be feeling convicted as we're working on this parenting talk. And uh, so I, I go inside and I sit down with Della and I just say, hey, Della, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I was unkind to you. I'm so sorry that I wasn't patient. I'm so sorry that I brushed you off. And that's wrong for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons why that's wrong is because God has placed me and your mom in your life to help you understand what he's like. Mm-hmm. And he is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. That when uh, he, we draw near to him, he draws near to us. When we come to him for help, he's quick to respond. That he is kind and he is gentle. And I wasn't. And I am really, really sorry. Friends, uh, we're not going to get this right all the time, but we need to own it, parents, when we don't, to be able to point them back to what God's like. And then we need to, best we can, by the power of the Spirit of God, which is the only way it's possible, 
reflect what God's like. As we mentioned last week in, when we were talking on marriage, to love each other like God has called us to love each other, we just can't do that on our own. We don't have what it takes, honestly, to love like God loves. So what do we need? We need God to do that. And the good news is that God has given himself to us. The spirit of God has been given to us. That's why all of this passage flows out of Ephesians 5 verse 18 when Paul commands, be filled with the spirit. And that's what leads to submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, which leads to husbands and wives loving each other, like he says, and leads to parents who can really steward what God's authority in the people in his kids' lives. We need the Spirit of God to make this possible. We have to be walking with God, abiding in Christ for this to be possible. Because this is the first role that parents have, as you see in this passage. So we're stewards. We're stewards of our kids. We're stewards of his authority in the lives of our kids. And we also need the Spirit of God to do the second role that we see kind of implied in this passage, which is that parents are called to be servants. Servants of our kids, serving them by loving them like God does for God's purposes. And we see that here in verse 4, right? So it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And remember that when Paul penned these words, he was speaking into a culture where fathers were expected to be served by their children and where fathers could treat their children in any way that they wanted to. But here Paul says, fathers, Don't do that. Don't exasperate your children. Don't irritate them. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't frustrate them. Instead, we're to bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And you know what that requires, friends? It requires dying to yourself and saying no to your own selfish desires so that you can serve your kids according to God's design. Now, do you know why Paul has to say, fathers, don't exasperate your children? It's because children are exasperating. That's why. It's like we, you know, we should know better. We think we know better. But we have this wild idea as parents that, um, you know, simple things ought to be simple, right? Like, you know, eating your food or brushing your teeth or getting into the car or doing your homework. And we just think like, you should be able to do that. And yet kids find a way to make simple things extremely difficult, right? And so as parents, we can get really frustrated by that because we want parenting to be easy and we want parenting to be convenient. But raising And helping shape a child into the image of Christ is rarely easy or convenient. And that's why parents must be servants. For it takes a lot of attention and a lot of time and a lot of intentionality and a lot of self-sacrifice to bring your kids up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, real quick, these words, training and instruction, they're, they're helpful to understand what, what Paul's getting at there. The word training primarily applies to what you do. And this word instruction primarily applies to what you say, all right? And so, um, to point out, as Chris and I were talking about this, to point out a rather uncomfortable truth, uh, we're always training our kids' parents. Like, we don't get to compartmentalize that. Like, okay, sometimes I'll do this training. Like, if your kids live with you, (laughs) you are training them 24-7. 
And if what you are training them in by how you live doesn't align with what you say, the instruction part, what we call that is hypocrisy. And it's really confusing to our kids. And so when you think about this idea of training instruction in the Lord, when you apply that to their spiritual lives, and you think, okay, if I'm, if I'm saying to my kids that we're, we worship God, he saved us, and so we're part of the church, and yet we're not coming to church where our kids are not seeing us worshiping God, on whether that's Zoom now or here at Baker, but they're not, they're not seeing that. You prioritize that, that's going to be confusing for them, and you're training them in that. Or if you say spending time with God is important, but they never see you reading your Bible or praying, then you're training them, and it's confusing if what you say and what you're doing doesn't align. Or if you say serving people is really important as a family, we serve, but you're not serving. These are just things that we have to think through because we never, we're never not training. So you have to look at your life and say, what am I training my kids in? And then as you do that, then, and as, you, as you're intentional about the training, then you come alongside of them and you, you add the instruction, most helpfully when you're explaining why you do what you're doing. Hey, let me tell you why we're doing this. That's really, really helpful, friends, parents. This is how we raise, bring our children up and the training instruction of the Lord. Are you training them? Mm. Are you instructing them? So those are the two really important roles of parents that we see from this passage. That we're meant to live as stewards and as servants. And as we live in light of those roles, we bring our children up in the training instruction of the Lord. Absolutely. So if training and instruction is part of our role, what's the goal with that? What are we aiming for here in this training and instruction? And while this isn't explicitly laid out in this passage, we do get really good insight because when Paul goes to say uh, the training and instruction of the Lord, what he's doing there is he's pointing back to Jesus. He's pointing back to how Jesus trains and Jesus instructs. And that's hugely insightful, friends, because what we know about Jesus and how he does those things is he is always aiming for heart change. And oftentimes in parenting, this is what I see and this is what I feel. It is this uh, struggle, this desire, this pull to manage our children's behavior. And so what that looks like is we train and instruct good behavior. The goal, right, is that their behavior would indeed be good. Um, And we're after this behavior modification. But that's not what we see in Jesus. What we see in Jesus is he is always after heart change over behavior modification. And that's hugely informative to us. But the big question is, how do we do that, right? Like, how in the world do we get to what the heart is, what the root issue is of every situation with our kids? That sounds slightly impossible and very um, overwhelming. And so we've got a practical tool for you guys this morning. And we uh, did not come up with this idea on our own. We stole it from Paul Tripp, but it's been hugely beneficial to us as we have been parenting our three children over the years. And so we have five questions for you that will help reveal your child's heart and provide insight. And they're questions because the most insightful people that you will ever meet are not the ones with the best statements. They're the people with the best questions because a really good question provides great insight. And so parents, 
write these down, take a picture of it with your phone, whatever you want to do. But we're going to walk through these. And it's really important how you word them, but even more important in what order you word them in. And so let's get this practical tool in your hands. Whenever you have a situation where your child is misbehaving, whether they are two or 17, we want you to go to these questions. And the first question is, what was going on? What happened? And all you're after with this question is just a retelling of the story. You want them to unpack what just went down. And you're going to listen. And then that second question is, what were you thinking and feeling in that moment? When all that that you just told me about happened, what were you thinking and feeling? Now, what we're after here is the heart, right? This is going to reveal what their heart was thinking and feeling in that moment. Because truth is, our hearts are always active. They're always feeling. They're always thinking. They're always desiring. And so we want our kids to connect with how they were thinking and feeling in that moment. The third question is, what did you do in response? Now, let me be real. I want to go to this question second. I want to be like, what happened? What did you do about it? Right? Um, But it's not second for a reason. It's third on purpose, and this is why. Because our children's response is not tied to what happened. It's tied to what was happening in their heart. And it's so important that we're able to ask that second question to reveal what was happening in their heart and then ask what they did about it in response so that we can connect those two. Fourth question, why'd you do it? What were you trying to accomplish here? This is going to reveal their desires and motivation, right? And what we're doing here is we're literally bookending, we're bracketing their thoughts and feelings of their heart and the motivation and desires of their heart around the behavior. Because when you have wrong thoughts and feelings and wrong motivations and desires, you're going to have wrong behavior, And it's so important to tie those uh, right around the behavior. And then the fifth question is, what was the result? What happened as a result? We're wanting our kids to own the outcome. Because where the seeds were planted was in their thoughts and desires of the heart. And then it grew a trunk of behavior and then bore the fruit of circumstances, right? Those Mm, are all really good. That was really good. So, like, so we're gonna like get with the tree thing shut there. Up. We're gonna get, we're gonna get really practical here. Um, we were honest with you guys last week that we are in a particularly hard parenting season, and so we have been uh, almost comically asking these questions over and over and over again in parenting lately. And um, and Jake, you actually had some good practice this week with these questions, didn't you? I did. I got to practice this that. quite often this week. Uh, let me tell you all about one of those. Um, on uh, Tuesday night, uh, Sean was actually over at the house. I went inside and uh, to put my boys to bed, and I walk into their room, and uh, the tension is palatable. Right? It's like something just went down. And so I ask, uh, you guys, what, what's going on? And it uh, turns out, and they 
tell me the story on top of each other uh, with some shouting and uh, about how there was. A, I'll try to keep these. I'll try to names keep will them, stay anonymous. Yeah, anonymous. Protect the guilty. Because you, you know, y'all know these people I'm talking about. Um, one son was bossing another son around. The son that was being bossed around did not like it, and he hit his bossy brother, and then they went into a straight-up fight, and they, they went at it, all right? So when I had walked in, they had just kind of cleared, cleared the space, and, and they were just fuming. And so I said, okay, this is the last thing I want to do. Like, I just wanted to go in. I was going to put them to bed. Sean's waiting for me. So I'm thinking, this is quick. Let me pray for you. Heading out. Instead, this. And so I'm like, ah. and so my, t- my, my, my inclination, what I wanted to do is just to sit, come in and be like, okay, you get a punishment and you get a punishment and we're going to talk about this tomorrow and I'm out of here, right? And so, but by the grace of God, I was like, all right, and probably helpful again as we work on this message, like this is on my mind. It turns out we should apply this. And um, so I said, all right, guys, let, let, let's talk. And I take them one at a time, and we start walking through the conversation. Let me give you just a snapshot of one of those conversations. So I say to the son that was being bossed around, that then went and hit his brother. I said, uh, okay, so, oh, what, what were you feeling? What were you feeling when you were getting told what to do by your brother? And he, in perfect 12-year-old boy language, says, I was angry. <laughs> so, okay. And what did, uh, what did you do as a result of that? Well, How'd you respond to that? Well, I hit him. <laughs> so, all right, all right, okay. Well, then, uh, how how did you uh, how'd you feel afterward? Afterwards, you know, he says, uh, or why did you, you know why did you do it? That's what I was getting after. How, how'd you feel afterwards? Why'd you do it? He said, Well, uh, the reason I did it was because I I was trying to get him to stop. And I said, Well, what was the result? He said, Well. I got hurt. He got hurt. Things are worse. <laughs> now I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> well, got a good lay of the land there, man. Okay. Now, uh, this conversation, though, you know, probably about 14 words from my son, uh, extremely insightful. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why. Because uh, in it, he and I both got a snapshot a glimpse into what was going on in his heart and what was going on in his heart is that when his brother did something he didn't like it made him angry and his response his desire in that anger was to hurt his brother and my, and my son he he was thinking that the reason he did what he did was because of what his brother did that was what he tied it to he did this and therefore I did this but I helped him see, hey, son, like, let me show you so what's going on in your heart. And in this conversation, I just said, look, if, if, if what was in your heart wasn't anger, and if you weren't driven by a desire to hurt him as a result of your anger, you, this is what could have played out. So you, if you had humility or grace or kindness flowing from your heart, then when your brother did something you didn't like, you could have just brushed it off. Or you could have kindly said, hey, it's all right, man, you don't need to tell me what to do. And you just let it lie. But because anger was what was flowing from your heart, that drove you to do what you did. Do you see that? He said, yeah, yeah, I see that. I said, well, this is the reason, son, that 
We need Jesus. Because our, our hearts are messed up. And we got stuff going around in here that will drive what we do and it will hurt us and it will hurt others. And see, this anger in your heart that Jesus has come to save us from that and he can change our hearts. So let's pray and let's ask Jesus to change your heart. Will you do that? Yeah, I'll do that. So we pray together that Jesus would change his heart and we thank Jesus for saving us from our sins. Now, that conversation right there isn't, doesn't have the power to change Camp's heart. Only Jesus can change Camp's heart. But my job as a parent is to expose Camp's heart. I got to know his heart. I got to reveal his heart to him so that he can see his need for Jesus to change his heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened in that short little conversation that I would have completely missed if I was all about just trying to get back to Sean, who was waiting for me, and to say, hey, okay, we're going to, here, here's your punishment. Change your behavior. Let's get out of here. I would have missed the root issue with what's going on. He wouldn't have seen it, and he would have just blamed it all on his brother. Because we have to engage the heart. Mm-hmm. It takes being servants to do that, because it's inconvenient. But it's so important. Now we know that most of the parents here in our church family are parenting kids younger than ours. So that was a great example of a conversation with a 12-year-old. But I promise you these questions work with little littles as well. Um, Also, I just want to remind you, whether our kids are 2 or 17, wherever they are on this age spectrum, our job as parents is to reveal their hearts, help them see their need for Jesus and heart change. Yeah, let me add one more thing too. Yeah. For those that aren't parents, um, these questions are also extremely helpful for you yeah. because they help you see what's going on in your heart. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you were as a parent, didn't write this down, you should go ahead and write these down or take a picture of this or, or whatever, because when you do something, you know, like, man, I really, I really sinned. I really messed up there. Mm-hmm. You're able to say, okay, what was going on? Yeah. And you can't blame something else. You say, okay, this actually, these actions flew, flowed from my heart. For everything we do flows from the heart. So that's why we have to guard it, as Proverbs 4 says. All right. Anyways, Absolutely. sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No. Um, Are you okay. feeling angry? No. <laughs> no. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is our, you know, our goal here is to really reveal their hearts, help them see their need for Jesus and their need for heart change. And that really gets to our primary goal. And so that's the goal for this learning and instruction, training and instruction. But our overall primary goal is something a little bit different. And so I'm going to go to a passage in scripture that is rarely tied to parenting, but it really does inform our primary goal. And so I'm going to go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Simply put, friends, our primary goal as parents is to raise up disciples. We should spend all of our time loving our kids, pursuing our kids, encouraging them, calling them to desire to live a life as a disciple of Jesus. Now, let me be really honest with you. This primary goal, this calling, it feels really um, overwhelming to me. 
and I feel a lot of tension with it. I feel tension because I know that I actually have no control over changing my child's heart and making them desire to follow Jesus. I can't do that. Only Jesus can. I also feel a lot of tension because when I'm in a particularly hard parenting season, I feel really overwhelmed. I feel ill-equipped and like I am far more aware of my shortcomings than I ever am the path moving forward. So there's a lot of tension to be had here, but I want to share where I go for comfort and hopes it'll bring you comfort too. Going back to Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What this means for me is that there is never a situation I will be in as a parent. There is never a moment that the wise and loving God who gave me this job isn't in full control. He is there with me in this, and I don't have to doubt that. I may be overwhelmed and surprised, but he is neither overwhelmed or surprised and has complete control to be able to change my child's heart. And that's really, really encouraging. And then the second thing I go to for comfort is farther down, it says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this, this good God who gave me this job of parenting in this moment, in this situation, his posture towards me is compassion and his promise to me is his presence and his provision. And so while in a hard season of parenting, if I am being called to show patience, he is right there giving me the patience that I need. And when I'm needing to display grace in a situation that I do not want to give grace to, he is right there giving me the grace that I need. And this isn't true just for me and my hard parenting situation. This is true for all of us because it's who Jesus is. Parents, we are to be stewards and servants that bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we do that by engaging their hearts as we seek to raise disciples of Jesus. That's what we're after here. Okay, we're going to wrap up, but we're going to leave you with homework because we like to do that. So, <laughs> so I'm going to give you three things that I want you to think about this week. One. I want you to identify how you are bringing your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Two, I want you to identify how you will engage your kids' hearts to point them to Jesus. Consider adopting those five questions. They're really, really helpful. And then three, identify times to pray for Jesus to change their hearts because he's the only one that can. Yeah, and when we say identify times to pray, like we don't we're not just tacking that on, Mm-mm. okay? And so, like, to really set a time, like we're gonna pray every Tuesday night, or we're praying every night before we go to bed that this is one of our prayers as parents that God would change and capture our kids' hearts. All right, so that's your homework for this week, parents. Now, before we head out, let me just say something else to the rest of our church family, and that is, uh, when it comes to all of this, hopefully you have a little bit more understanding why we need your prayers, and we would really covet your prayers for our kids to love Jesus and for the rest of the kids in our church family to to really love and know Jesus and help make him known.
So please pray for us in that. The other thing is um, we need your voice. And that's something Chris has said right at the very beginning of this, uh, this message. And that is that uh, there's, uh, you all y'all know this is true. For whatever reason, a parent can say, the, the, say something to their kids a hundred times. Someone else comes along and says the same thing to their kids. And it's like they've heard it for the very first time. Well, we need y'all saying these kind of things to our kids to talk to them about how awesome Jesus is, to help them see. And I guess, guys, Midtown Kids is a phenomenal way to do that. And you don't have to serve in Midtown Kids, but if you, like, I would encourage you to at least, if you've not considered it, this is one way we get to be as a family. And you get a voice into our kids' lives to point them towards Jesus and help us raise disciples of Christ. So we'd really encourage you to, to, to consider that and prayerfully consider that. And then the, the other thing that I would just say is that your example by your example, you also help train our kids. And so you coming to gather to worship with us where our kids or other kids get to see that that's a priority, that has an impact. And let me speak specifically to the college students here. For my middle school boys, for our middle school boys, yeah, seeing they're ours. you. Let's be clear. Okay, sorry. They're really gods. I don't know if you heard that part that you were talking about. It, but they, um, Smart aleck. When our children see college students gathering to worship God and making God a priority in their lives and loving them, that has a profound impact on our kids. And so whether you recognize it or not, we as a family are helping raise the next generation to know and love Jesus. And we ask you to continue to lean in for that purpose because we are family. And this is part of how we mutually serve one another, that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, go out of our way to care for these kids. So let me pray for us, and then let's worship our awesome Father who loves us perfectly. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you, and we're thankful for your design of the family. And God, we also uh, just pray now uh, in, in acknowledgement of our dependence on you. We need you. We need you desperately in order to uh, love our kids well and to point them towards Jesus to help engage their hearts that they would fall in love with Christ as they see their need for him and what he has done for them. God, pray for these parents that you would help us live as stewards. (laughs) And we've got some jazz playing from my phone. Live as stewards, God. Live as servants, pointing our kids towards you, Jesus. Help us love you, abide in you, be filled with your spirit, raise our kids well to know you and love you. God, capture their hearts. Thank you for this church family, how they love, how we love one another. May you be honored in our time of praise now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.